We ready to hear God's word? All right. Okay, so uh, this for me is a very exciting time in the, in the history of the church or in the calendar of the church. And uh, we're talking a lot about uh, Christmas because we often get Christmas presents. Eh? So Christmas for a lot of people are like, oh, the most amazing time. Because Now let me tell you, uh, Passover or Easter, I think we celebrate the greatest present that God actually came. You know, If it was only that he was born, that he lived for 33 years, that he suffered and died, and then he, he would just be gone, I don't think it would have had the impact that it has because we celebrate the fact that Christ the Redeemer died but he rose again and in that is all our hope in that is all our hope all right so I want to talk a little bit to you tonight about the the Christ the Redeemer uh, are we ready Christ the Redeemer okay so uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the word what it means and so on but that's my theme for the next couple of weeks uh, how many of you have been to Brazil South America in the morning there were a few, okay, there's one hand going up, somebody else over there as well, great stuff. There is a statue that is called Christ the Redeemer and it is massive, it is in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And they say that about 5,000 people a day go there every day of the week and they go and just marvel at this statue. Uh, the designer was Brazilian, big name, so I'm not really going to try and pronounce it. The, uh, the uh, sculpture was a Frenchman, also a big name. Uh, it's in my notes, you can read it from there as well. But when De Silva, which is the designer's surname, designed this statue, he had an idea. Let me just show you what it looks like if this thing will move on. All right, that was sort of the idea that the designer had before it became, let's take me one back, just two, sorry guys, I'm ahead of myself here, take me another one back. That's what it looks like, okay? So uh, if you go to Brazil, you've been there, that's what you saw, beautiful picture, uh, and, and one day we will go there, when we're big, don't worry, we will go there, okay? Uh, you and I will go together. But the designer had actually had this in mind. He had a picture of Christ with a cross and then with a globe in his hand. But because it's in Brazil, he hit a problem. And what would you think the problem was? When the Brazilians in his design saw the round thing in his hands, they thought, true, true story, they thought it was a soccer ball so he thought no 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 no, i can't do that i cannot put that on there because that's what they're going to worship they're going to think the world cup soccer is going to be every year in brazil okay so uh, then he changed it and uh, he had the, then in his heart to draw the statue of christ with his arms stretched open i'll come back to that picture in a moment as well and and that's what we see when we see that picture and maybe you've not been there but you definitely have seen it some or other way or at some or other time as well so christ the redeemer that sculpture is one of the largest in the world and uh, it really became uh, started with a dream in the 1800s the late 1800s where um where some people thought that uh they were going to lose their impact as christians on brazil and so they decided that this would be a good thing, is to have a massive statue in Brazil so that people would be reminded about their religion, about their faith, about their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So in 1926, they 
completed this structure. Now listen to how big this structure was. This structure took nine years to complete. Now we're talking 1926. It was 30 meters tall and the span of the hands from one side to the others were 28 meters and the statue is standing on a pedestal of a diameter of eight meters. That's how big it is. So that is, uh, it's also standing on a very high hill in Brazil. This hill is 710 meters above uh, Brazil. And right on top of that mountain, the statue stands and it weighs 635 tons. A little bit heavier than all of us put together here tonight, okay, 635, okay, so they just started to design or, or um, develop concrete, reinforce concrete uh, in the 1900s, so uh, De Silva reckons that they would build this out of reinforced concrete, and so when we finished this statue of Christ, he looked at it and he said, you know, that statue really is a little bit too rough, the way it looks like, it's a little bit too rough. So he went to people who, who made tiles and listen to this. They made six million tiles that they stuck on the sculpture and then the BBC recorded that behind many of these little things are written, faith statements are written. Now what is your nature and my nature? Let's go and take some awfully. Let's go and see what they wrote behind these little tiles. Can you imagine? Not, all on, not on all the six million, but on many of them, there are little messages written on this sculpture. So... In 2007, in Janu uh, uh, July 2007, uh, it was classified as one of the new seven wonders of the world, the statue of Christ the Redeemer. Today, if you visit it, you don't have to climb any steps. Previously, you had to get there going up 220 steps. Now, some of you already reckon I'm not going. That's enough to just think about that. I'm already tired just thinking about the steps. But you know what? Like much of our Christianity is they made it very easy for people these days. You can now get there via an uh, elevator or an escalator and you can go right to the top and enjoy the site there as well. So here is the statue. As a reminder in Brazil about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, and uh, I don't know if it's working, but surely that was the design. So rather than depicting Christ on the cross or Christ carrying a cross, the silver reckoned that he wanted to depict the Lord Jesus Christ with outstretched arms, welcoming arms, uh, arms that would say to not only people in Brazil, but all over the world, you are welcome. And then somebody went and they wrote a song, a Brazilian in 1969, and they called the song, that hug. He obviously had the idea of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only with outstretched arms, but hugging, willing to hug those that would come close as well. I don't know what you would think when you look at that, but I think both would be fitting. Both would be fitting of the Lord Jesus even today. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer. Because that is what that statue is called as way. Christ the Redeemer. Now the word redeem in my mind is a very significant word. The word redeemed in my mind is a very powerful word. It is not just a sloppy, wishy kind of word. It is powerful, it is positive, and it has permanent connotations. The word redeem. Let's go and look 
and, dis- and, and discover a little bit more about this word and what it means. First of all, when you use the word redeem, it could mean, or people could say to you, Lee, you have to redeem yourself. Or Jordan, you've made such a mess up with your reputation. You have got to redeem yourself. And that was more appropriate today, Lee, that I would blame her. Okay, so in any words, they would go to you and say, you've messed up your reputation. In other words, you've got to redeem it. So what you've got to do now is you've got to do something special so that you would go up in our estimation and so you would redeem. Have you heard people say that about people? Have you heard that? Some of you have never been to an English class and I guess Afrikaans and I'm teaching you today. Okay, you've heard it. All right. So the next one is that um, it, it, sometimes they say people you have, they would come to you and maybe say you have redeeming features. Now it's not a great compliment. Because this is what happened to me. In, uh, when I was a young man, uh, we were married and, and just had our, our first child. And we, uh, as I was, uh, while I was studying, we managed a Christian campsite and there was this tuck shop. And uh, people would come and buy their chocolates and, and the girls would do this. And I think I've shared it here before. As the girls would come and buy chocolate after chocolate and a bag full of chips. And then they would buy a Diet Coke. And I would say, what's a Diet Coke for? Is it for your friend? No, 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 I'm on diet. And her arms are full of chocolate. Anyway, so this girl walks up to me, buys a chocolate, looks at me and says to me in Afrikaans, Jij het a baie lang nees. In English, you've got a very long nose. But the redeeming factor is your blue eyes are beautiful. Now, what do you think I did? Now, those days my eyes were a little bit more blue, okay? So, did you think I gave her a hug and said, wow, thank you for talking about my long nose and then saying, but you, so it's not really always a compliment. They're trying to make it a compliment, but sometimes you have a feature where they say, you know what, your face is very long, but you've got beautiful brown eyes. That's your redeeming factor. Okay, so uh, I don't know if that is really a compliment. Then sometimes they talk about companies that have a redeeming factor or a church that has a redeeming factor. In actual fact, what they are saying to you is that there are there's some things that this company has that is actually not so positive. This company has certain shortcomings this church has certain shortcomings and, and, and but the redeeming factors the reason why I'm coming back is and they would name something okay you get my point there so sometimes people would say you know what Rulof, the real thing that gets me back to this church is the worship now that's also not very encouraging for me as the preacher you know and sometimes I would wait and say and the preacher is not too bad either but they hardly ever say that in membership classes eh? anyway so the redeeming fact is people come back here because we are friendly we've got great worship and some good-looking people here as well as a, as, as a church now the last little bit is about redeeming with money or redeeming uh, paying for something or getting something money to uh, for yourself to redeem something that somebody has either bought from you or you've sold to them as well how many of you have been to a pawn shop, P-A-W-N shop? You got to clarify these days. A pawn shop. Hey, none of you. You look so religious. You are a bunch of liars. Come on. How many of you have been to a pawn shop? Into it. Maybe not to sell, but to look at least. I love them. I love those gadgets. You know, sometimes you think, oh, shame. It's somebody else's pain I'm buying here at a really discount price. But anyway, it works. So you go into a pawn shop and what happens is you take Peter, your wife's beautiful gold earrings. Okay. And you desperately need 500 bucks to buy another tool a drill or something like that so you take her earrings you don't tell her obviously and you go to a pawn shop and you go to the guy and say I will give you these earrings 
And you give me the 500 rand and he adds interest to that and it becomes about eight or 900 rand when you get back. And then when you get back, you pay him the money and you get back your wife's earrings. You go, put it back and she never knew what you did. That's what you think. All right, so they are so clever, these aunties. So you have just redeemed something that you've pawned. That's what the word redeem means or that's how we use it. Uh, let me give you a couple of other uh, usages or a definition of the word redeem. And then we're gonna apply it a little bit to ourselves tonight and to our Christian faith as well. So a definition of redeem may mean that you compensate for the faults or the bad aspects of something. Is that is what you, uh, the word redeem means. Uh, other words to use there is, is to rescue or to justify or to vindicate. And can you, can you see some of the spiritual aspects that are coming through here. Some things that Christ did for us when we think of the word redeem, and I'm coming back to that in a moment. He's vindicating us. He is compensating for faults in us, for mistakes in us, for, for shortcomings in us. He's justifying or rescuing us. Then there's another definition and another dictionary that says the word redeem means to gain, and here's it is, to gain or regain a possession. And I'm coming back to that one in a moment. In exchange for a payment. To gain or regain something in exchange for a payment. So the word can be used as a noun and as a verb. Does it feel like you're back at school for some of you? All right? You say, yo, yo, yo. My English teacher, and how I remember what she says. A noun. It can be used as a noun or a verb. As a noun, there are the redeemed. That is you and me, the redeemed people. A person on the receiving end. There is also a noun that is the redeemer. And another word for redeemer is a rescuer. And that is exactly our situation here tonight is that we have been on the receiving end of the rescuer, the redeemer coming and paying a price for us. And this is what we celebrate over the next week. It is the bestest time, there's a word like that, in the calendar of the church, the bestest time. All right, a time to really celebrate. Now here I'm back to you being your English teacher. So every word has got a past tense, Natalie, a present tense, a future tense, and then nochal, a perfect tense. That I could never understand. But it's true, apparently. So in the past tense, the word redeem means, uh, or you would use it and say, redeemed. I have been redeemed. In the present tense, he redeems. In the future tense, he is busy redeeming. In the perfect tense, what does it mean then? The perfect tense in a language means, listen to me, my friend, this is what it means. Something has been completed. An action has been perfected. It is done. Now let's go back to that word. You are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The perfect tense, whether it's past, present, or future, basically means this. It is an act that is completed. It is an act that is perfected. It is a condition on you that cannot be reversed unless you obviously walk in disobedience to the Lord. So now let's, let's go now to the Christian theology. 
to you now how does the bible use the word redeem very interesting there's a greek word called apolutrosis and this word in the greek is basically meaning this and i'll explain it a little bit to you just to get you give you a better understanding of what it means to be redeemed or what redemption means for us so to be redeemed in the bible basically means that we have in the past perfect tense in the present perfect tense in the future perfect tense we have been redeemed we have been delivered from our sin we have been delivered from evil and we have been set free from captivity the word redeemed you have been saved delivered and rescued i'll come back to that in a moment as well so if we go back to this word here's the idea of this greek word apolutrusis it basically means you are a weary soldier Stuart. you are tired you are battle worn you've been beaten left right and center and you know what you're arriving at a pit stop or a watering hole and you find total peace there and you fill your need that's what this word means redemption arriving at a place where you're going you know what my need is completely met in this very difficult time my need is very much met by the Lord Jesus Christ so when you come to this watering hole listen to me when you come to this watering hole and you refer to yourself as being redeemed <clears throat> you're coming and saying that i have reached the place in the midst of a storm in the midst of difficulties where i am at a water hole i am refreshed i'm at ease i'm at peace and he has taken the tension away let me go back to that word past present future and perfect tense of the word redeemed it means my friend and here's where some of us are struggling with as well that when you have done something you have committed a sin and you have done something that is terrible and you've asked forgiveness that God wipes it out and he says over you redeemed now he doesn't want you to go back there again because it's past tense it is completed the action is completed the deal is done your condition has changed <clears throat> you are redeemed the same goes for when you it's in the present tense you have been ransomed and redeemed your debt is being paid for even today even maybe just now even maybe sitting in your car, even maybe sitting in the worship service, thinking thoughts that are not so lacking. The moment you give them to the Lord and you say, Lord Jesus, so you are in the process of being redeemed. Present tense. And here's the good news. One day we're going to meet him as completely redeemed people, rescued people. Our condition is completely changed. Let me tell you, my friends, we re, we're remembering in this time that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. I see things on the telephone poles about ANC and the DA and the DA, uh, ACDP, and I don't know what party there is these days, and they all think that they are the rescuers of a nation. And people look and say, I'm going to vote for this one because they will rescue this nation. They have got no hope in heaven to rescue a nation because they're not the rescuers he is the rescuer and in everything in our life the moment I reach a place where I go man things are difficult I remember he is my redeemer he is my rescuer 
That is the watering hole that we are at. That's the pit stop that we can enjoy as well. Let's look a little bit at a couple of questions people ask about this word redeem or redeemer or redemption as well. What sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? What sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? Well, the answer is simple in the Bible. This redeemer that will satisfy God had to be truly human and truly God. And I'll come back to that in a moment as well. So this redeemer had to be truly human and truly God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. Here's the human part of, of this redeemer. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That is sort of a human being, a very good human being. But now it goes to stuff only God can do. The rest of him is his mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He is, this redeemer had to be, in the Old Testament prophesied, it had to be a fully human, but a fully God as well. That's how it had to be. The second thing is, is coming out of that question, we then have to ask, why must this redeemer be truly human? Well, the reason is pretty obvious. It's because it is humans that are sinning. It is humans that pay, must pay the price. It is humans that are guilty before God. It is you and I that cannot perfectly obey the law. And God expects that from us. And only a person perfect and a person that, 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 that had no weaknesses, that could identify with our weaknesses, could take this punishment. So God says he had to be truly human. And he said, well, you know what? That's impossible, isn't it? Because nobody can live like this. Nobody can please God 100%. Nobody can please God 100% all the time. So something else had to be right with God. And he had to be truly God as well. So truly man, truly God. Listen to this. He had to be divine. Because only a person, only God himself, his only son could live up to this expectation. Only he, through obedience and suffering, could be perfect and effective in your life. Only he, he is the only person as fully human and fully God that could come and set you and me free. He had to be human. But as a human, he would not be perfect. Therefore, he had to be God as well. So that he could identify with us and yet represent us before God. Was it necessary for the Savior to die? Would we, have, would we not have been satisfied if right at the end of his life, maybe even lived until he was 60 or, or 70 or 80 years old. And right at the end of his life, he just says, job done, I'm going to back to my father now. You see, he had to die. Because in the Old Testament, it is true that sin had to be punished by death. That was the penalty. So God had a system in the Old Testament and it wasn't complete. And people, people, animals had to be punished. Blood had to flow. And so in the New Testament, he had to have somebody that could die in your place, in my place, so that I would be redeemed, to deliver me from my penalty, to take away the power and the penalty of sin over my life. There had to be a substitute in my place. And it could only be willingly the Lord Jesus Christ as well. That's why he had to die. That's why he had to die. 
Colossians 1 verse 21 and 22 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in he, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, our heavenly father. The word redeemed is a very powerful word, very significant word. Does Christ's death mean all my sins are forgiven? Does he wipe out every sin? Yes, he does. There is nothing too bad, nothing too ugly. As long as there's true repentance, there's nothing too big that Jesus cannot forgive. A family member years ago when I spoke to her about the Lord Jesus said these words to me. and said, you know what, Rolof, I wasn't brought up to be good like you. And, and I thought, no, that's not the issue. The issue is I was also not brought up to be good because I was also born with a sinful nature. I also lived it up. I also did things that I'm ashamed of in my life, even as a believer. And don't tell people that. You see, that's not the issue. The issue is that I needed somebody to take my sins, to take all my sins. And she said to me, no, Rolof, I've got too many big sins in my life and as a result has never given her life to the Lord this conversation goes back 15 years ago and on a regular basis pray for this family member but you know here's the most beautiful thing that happens I can only illustrate it in a very imperfect way that is you if you are wearing a very filthy t-shirt tonight smelly dirty there's no no beautiful no clean stain it is stained from top to bottom inside out it is absolutely rotten smelly it is filthy and Jesus comes and he says you know what give me that t-shirt and he takes his absolutely beautifully clean t-shirt off and he puts it on you and he takes that filthy t-shirt and he puts it on himself and he says that's what I came to do give me yours I'll give you mine substitute I think that illustrates it quite lacquer for 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Listen to this. Who knew no sin. So that in him, we, I, you, might become the righteousness of of Christ check this out maybe God has got glasses and those glasses says the Lord Jesus Christ in the lenses are called the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed by Christ and God looks at you Mandy and he says you are full of sin Mandy you deserve hell and he puts his glasses on and he says but I see you blameless I see you justified I see you righteous that's how it works that's how it works in real life for you and me. Of course, we can't just live the sinful life and, and enjoy it. We've got to turn towards Christ and, and live for him. So, so here's the next question when it comes to redemption. I've got two more maybe. It says, are all people, because the Bible says, through one man sin came into the world, that's Adam. Is it true then to say that through one man, everybody will be saved? <clears throat> yes and no. Everybody can be saved. But not everybody will be saved. Because not everybody takes the gift. Not everybody receives him. He says here, for if because one man's trust trespasses, death reign through that one man, much more will those who receive, who receive, take it, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam caused us all to be painfully guilty before God. In one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, everybody can, but not is, but can be forgiven if I take it, 
if I make it my own. Two more questions. <clears throat> what happens after death if those who rejected this offer, what happens to them? The Bible, you know, so often we say the gospel is good news. It is half the truth. This gospel has got some really bad news as well. And let me give you to you the good news and the bad news. The bad news, or the good news is this, John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world. You see, I'll tell you where we want to stop. Where we want to take our Bibles and put a big sticker over it. it at this part, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeehaw, you lucker. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Can you see it? He did not come to condemn us, but to save him. Whoever believes is not condemned. Now we want to stop. That's the good news. That is the good news. But here's the bad news. But whoever does not believe, stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him, in His Son, has eternal life. Whoever rejects Him will not see life. So the gospel is not just good news. The gospel is good news until you hear it, then it has bad news as well. Because then it says if you receive it, that's the good news. The bad news is if you reject it, you already stand condemned before God. So my advice to you tonight is take it. Tell others about it. Tell others about it. Let me tell you something, my dear friend. The last point here is, how then can I be saved? This is simple, but it's not that simple. The Bible is clear, only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No good person on its own will go to heaven. Only saved people will go to heaven. So, so, so listen, let me tell you something. Somebody, an old lady, came, the old elderly lady, she's is old, she's close to her 90s. She came to me this morning she said, with a knob, and she says, I listened to a pastor on TBN this morning, and he said that there will be a lot of Christians in hell. I am so cross. Is that true? I said, in a sense, it is true. I'll tell you why it is true. Only this reason. Because Christian behavior does not make you a Christian. There's some lot of good people who have Christian behavior, being born again putting your faith in Jesus makes you a Christian. So in that sense, yes, it is true. My dear friend, this is what I'm saying a few times this year as well. If you have received the good news, why then are we keeping quiet about the good news? Can I, can I ask you, if somebody had to come to you today and say, how many of you have got a bond? Uh, most, most adults have got a bond over their house. If I had to come to you today and I say, your bond's gonna be paid off, Tomorrow, give me your bank details, I'll settle it. What would you do in this church next week Sunday? You'd be the first to get up here and share a testimony. What if, what then or why then? When the biggest debt is paid, Nick, do we not have the guts to stand up in public and saying, my bond is paid, redeemed, rescued, bought back, I belong to Jesus Christ. Why not? Why is it such a battle? There was a little boy one day that made a sailboat. Man, he worked on this thing and painted it and 
and put his little name on it and, and, and just put lines all over it. And, and this was, he was so proud of the sailboat. He was so, he was so proud of the sailboat. So the test came when he finished this was to go and put it on the Florida Lake and to see if it will actually float and also to see if this boat would actually, if a breeze would take it, if it would actually sail. That was the biggest test. So the little boy goes off to Florida Lake with his little sailboat in his hands and he put, places it on the water there and, and he watches the boat and, and, and the first test that passed because it did not sink. It is floating. And then the second test came when there was a little breeze and the little breeze took this little sailboat and the boy was first so excited. It, it is sailing. And then he realizes it's now getting out of reach. So he would wade into the water, but the boat was already too far away. And he would see his little sailboat just disappear over there, far away from him. And he, would, he was so absolutely distraught. He ran back crying like boys do, crying to their mommies. And he would go and cry in front of his mommy. And, says, and his mother says, what's wrong? What happened? Uh, didn't it work? And he answered his mom and he says, mom, it worked too well. That's the problem. It worked too well. So sometime later, he goes into the shop in Rudderport. And there he sees in a pawn shop, he sees his sailboat. So what would you do? He goes straight into the shop and he goes to the owner and he says, unmistakably, that is my boat. He picks it up, puts his, it under his arm and he starts walking out and the salesman goes, uh -uh. the owner goes, no, 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 no. He says, no, 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 that is not, wait a minute, Tony. You cannot take that. He says, no, sir, I can tell you all the difference. I can tell you stuff here that you, only I would know because I made this boat. This is my boat. And the owner says, no, 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 my boy, you don't understand. I bought that boat. You will have to buy it back from me. I'm sorry. So the little boy goes home. He works so hard the next few weeks. Works in the garden, cleans his daddy's car, and so he gets enough money, goes back to the pawn shop, and so Vardas Vrachti, his boat is still there. So he goes and he buys this boat, and he is so excited. And as he left the shop, People heard him say these words to the boat. And he says, hey, you are my boat. You, in fact, are twice my boat. You first were my boat when I made you. And then secondly, you became my boat when I paid for you. You see, when God first made you, you were his. You were absolutely his. But through sin, through the rebellion, you drifted away in the wind. And then he went out and he identified you and he says, first, when I made you, you were mine. I'm willing to pay for you to get you back. That's the love of God. Maybe that is what that picture depicts for us tonight. Where those arms wide open of the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you tonight, I want to gain you back, regain possession of your life. Not only to save you, but to have you for me, to have you sail for me. I think that is God, what God is saying to each one of us in a sense tonight. So I want to gain or regain possession of your life. 